Would you like an opinion on a financial matter you're dealing with? Whether it's about retirement, investments, taxes, or 401ks, Scott Hansen and Pat McLean would like to help you by answering your call. To join Allworth's Money Matters, call now at 833-99-WORTH. That's 833-99-WORTH. Welcome to Allworth's Money Matters. I'm Scott Hansen. I'm Pat McLean. Thanks for joining us. And myself and my co-host here, we're both uh, financial advisors, certified financial planner, chartered financial consultant. We spend our weekdays with people like yourself and broadcast on the weekends to be your financial advisors on the air. And glad to be here with you all. Glad you're joining us. we got a good program today, as usual. We'll have some calls, talk about some things going on in the market. We'll talk with our chief investment officer briefly to get a That's, latest on interest rates. So I, I was just thinking about the titles, this Charter Financial Consultant, Certified Financial Planner. Okay. That's great. What? The, the, the titles are good, but what makes... What I think makes a good advisor is real-world experience, not just the education. It's interesting. So just this week, I had a 45-minute interview with an independent research firm uh, from the college – from the Certified Financial Planner Board. Okay. <laughs> that one in my opinion as a leader of an organization and the sea of people – and um, I remember I, I, the reason I, I'm bringing this up is because on your topic, I said something to the effect of, look, I don't really not I don't really care about the CFP designation per se. It's the fact that it demonstrates that someone is proficient in several disciplines around financial planning that are important, right? Yes. Um, and. Just because somebody, and also my beef was just because someone's a CFP does not mean they act in the client's best interest of a fiduciary standard. There's still a lot of them sell products. And- or that, that they understand the psychological, emotional, and life of a client and the decision-making that goes into their money. Yeah. It's, um, <clears throat> but it, I guess it's easy for me to say because I've been doing it for 30 years, so. <laughs> That's in all gets, fairness, and it gets easier. Right? Yeah. Well, you've seen more things, right? You see more things when you've personally lived through some bear markets. Oh, number of bear markets. Just I yes. remember someone years ago, and the, they were maybe they were with one of the big banks or whatever. But he said what he loved about the investment management business. He says there's nothing quite as humbling as losing someone's money. It's true, <laughs> right? And uh, it, typically, losses are temporary if someone's well diversified, but. There it's are always, periods of time when the oh, accounts the go are, down. They go and down. It's pretty brutal. Yes. Yeah. And then they go up, and there's a new and high water mark. Too, where people are in shock or like really nervous, or just and you shut down them through, or just shut down. And uh, I was talking to a financial advisor, a young one, a gentleman. I saw at the met him at the gym. We were talking, and I said, you know, make your client some money. And he's and I said, and better yet. Stop them from doing things that, to themselves that are irreversible <laughs> that will damage right. their financial yeah, lives forever. Yeah. <laughs> and he said to me, that's our job, isn't it? And I thought, that you'll do well. Job. You'll do well. You'll do well. Yeah. You're going to make your, uh, you're gonna make your wealth in your career, or you maybe get lucky enough to get an inheritance, but most likely it'll be in your career. Um, and it will be and over through savings long or, periods or creating of time. a business. Yes. And not making uh, silly uh, mistakes with your money. And we're going to talk about uh, later on the show this uh, these SPACs that were all the rage two years ago. You want to talk about it now? Or Let's talk. We'll, we'll take Andy Stout, our chief investment okay. officer, because he's sitting there waiting dutifully. Andy, thanks for taking some time to join us. Thanks, Scott and Pat. All right. So um, interest rate hikes. Where? <laughs> what's the market right now on future interest rates hikes? And the reason I ask what's the well, market, because there's ways you can look to see what kind of wagers. It's not that different than the sports betting, I suppose, at Vegas. They've got, you can see what, what wagers people are doing in the future. So thanks for taking some time, Andy. Yeah, just like in Vegas, when people place bets, and that's how you figure out, you know, the Kings have a three-point, you know, spread to win or something like that. Well, we Same lost thing's in true Sacramento in the financial Kings. market. It worked the other way around, Andy, but thank you for... 
Okay, uh, I was so trying to be kind. Okay, <laughs> okay, <laughs> I appreciate it. So, so how does it work then? The futures. So we use what's called Fed fund futures, which are securities that trade at levels where the Fed funds rate is a, where people think it might be at upcoming meeting dates when the Fed meets. And right now, where the, the Fed funds rate is, which is the short-term interest rates that banks can borrow from each other, and that's what the Federal Reserve controls, which is our nation's central bank, it's sitting right now in a target range of 5 to 5.25%. So they did hike. Uh, about a week and a half or so ago. And now what happens in the future? Well, it'll obviously depend on what the economy and how that develops and inflation uh, develops. But what the market is pricing in based on where essentially Wall Street traders are buying and selling Fed fund futures, we are expected to have no more rate hikes in this cycle. The cycle is expected to be done. And between now and next January, they've priced in four quarter point rate cuts or one full percentage point. So they get the target range to four to four and a quarter percent. Wow. That is a, a that's a big move, isn't it? I think what it is, I think it's a it's a medium sized move. And, and here's why I say that. I think it's really a balance of uh, two possible scenarios. Uh, the first scenario is where inflation stays elevated. And we don't have a severe credit crunch. In that situation, the Fed probably does not cut rates at all. Now, if we have a very bad credit crunch where the economy locks up, liquidity crisis and things like that, well, then the Fed will probably cut possibly more than that full percentage point. So it's almost like it's the middle point of those scenarios that are probably the two most likely scenarios in a lot of analysts' minds right now. So when we talk, well, two things. One is inflation seems to be all over the board, depending upon whether you're looking at the service sector or uh, commodities, or it, it it seems to be or rents or rent. It seems to be all over the board. Um, so it's probably hard to put a nail in that. And the other is the liquidity crisis. When you look at these collateralized loan obligations, and then the small uh, banks, regional banks, and what's happening to them. You've got to believe that there's going to be, at least I believe that there's going to be pressure on on credit facilities coming forward. Your your thoughts? Well, I think the you know the biggest risk is in that banking industry, like you were saying there, Pat. When we think about what the banks are doing in light of everything going on, where essentially what we're seeing is we're seeing tighter lending standards. So the availability for businesses and individuals to borrow, it's going to become more constrained than it already is. So not just the cost of borrowing, which is the level of interest rates, but it's the availability to borrow is also constraining. And that's going to have a negative economic impact. And that's why you're seeing a lot of people call for a recession later this year. And if you look at where the average economist has a prediction out there, they're expecting negative growth in the second half of this year. Uh, and even the Federal Reserve staff, not the Fed voting members, but their staff or their their lackeys, for lack of a better term, uh, they actually said there's a, a good chance for a mild recession this year as well. And I think you are going to see pressure in those those credit facilities that you like you were talking about, especially in the riskier ones where it's tied to economic growth and you see lending freeze up and, and businesses might not be able to roll over their debt, which could cause essentially, a, I don't want to say a liquidity crisis, but a, a liquidity scare for sure. And it, it may uh, get a little bit worse. And I, I wouldn't be surprised if it gets worse before it gets better from where we're at right now, even yep. though we've already seen more bank oh, failures boy. in dollar terms this year than in 2008. And, and touch on the inflation for a second, uh, your thoughts. So if you look at inflation, CPI, it's 5% on a year-over-year basis uh, higher. And you know it's certainly come down from its peak last June of 9.1%. And we do expect it to start to come down even more because shelter, which makes up about 34% of total inflation, that's starting to finally come down as well. And the reason for that is these lease agreements that are getting reworked on a continuous basis, there's not as much uh, as many more price increases expected to be pushed into them. So a lot of the price increases on the shelter side for the leases have already made their way in. So we expect that to come down a little bit. So when we look at inflation, you know, we certainly look at it, you know, at a few different levels, right? We can look at uh, goods inflation, we can look at energy, we can look at um, food, and we can look at services. And the one thing that's really caught the the Fed's attention lately is what's called super core inflation, which is core services x shelter. And that's still running 
it, it's come down a little bit. So that's good. And that's the, the Fed likes to look at that because it shows the level of how entrenched inflation is in the broad economy. And that has come down on the most recent release that we uh, saw this week. Uh, but it's still probably a little bit too high for the Fed. And there's still some pressure in some other areas that the Fed's not liking from an inflation uh, perspective. So I don't see the, the CPI level really getting much lower than three and a half percent come year end on a year over year basis. And uh, unemployment? Is there a question behind that, or <laughs> yeah. just I like I like listening I like listening to you. I learn something every time. So it, it seems that the the recent unemployment numbers that we're actually starting to see a softening in the job market. Do you think that's going to hold or continue? Or I, I think that probably does hold, and you can see that by looking at the job cut announcements. So there's a firm out there called Challenger that tracks the job cuts and it continues to show a pretty strong increase, especially in a lot of in the technology sectors where you're seeing a big part of it. And you are starting to see those weekly jobless claims, which are people filing for unemployment benefits, you know, start to take higher and higher. And so on those shorter term data points, like the weekly jobless claims, yes, we're certainly seeing some weakness. Haven't seen as much weakness in the monthly jobs report. That's a big one that every uh, one keys in on. So we, we did get that report last week and what it showed that uh, employers added 250 thousand jobs. That was a lot better than expected. However, the prior two months were revised lower by 149,000. So kind of net net, a little bit weaker than what was expected, but it's still growth and it's still showing some stability out there. And when we look at the unemployment rate, you know, that was probably a little bit stronger because that actually dropped from 3.5% to 3.4%. And that happened even as the labor force participation rate, which is people looking for jobs essentially, uh, remain constant where it was. So when we look at all of that together, you know, it shows a weakness uh, coming in these shorter term indicators, which I do believe will flow through to the monthly jobs report. And you're, I would expect that the, the employer new jobs that they add will start to come down in the months ahead, especially because banks are tightening lending standards and making it harder for businesses to obtain loans and consumers to obtain loans. And that's going to lower the overall demand. Which therefore will slow uh, will slow inflation. In theory, yes. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, in theory. <laughs> hey, Andy, really appreciate you taking some time to join us. It's always uh, a pleasure speaking and, with but you. Andy is our chief investment officer, not an economist per se. So it's. Um, I know sometimes we ask you for your prediction on things. <laughs> yeah, I, I, it's, it's the nature. <laughs> yeah. Thanks. Andy. So appreciate your time. Thank you. Yeah, it's um, it's what's interesting is that. So the Fed funds rate, five to five and a quarter percent. So short-term money is five to five and a quarter percent. Ten-year treasury bonds are three and a half percent, roughly. Which tells you that the market's betting that inflation is going to go away. Correct. That's what they're it's, not, no, one's, no one's betting that long-term it's going to be there. Right? That, that's, otherwise, uh, they would demand uh, higher rates. Than yeah, that. otherwise we, we, we have an inverted yield curve. Well, we have one now. It's pretty significant. Oh, it's big. Yeah, it's a big, pretty. And it... Um, you know what's amazing to me is uh, I have a son that's shopping for a home um, in Denver. And parts of the country, we've seen a, a very big softening, a drop in 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 residential real estate. But in parts not of the country. Not all markets. But not all markets. Not, not Denver? Not not even a little. Not even a little. Not e Like things are going off the same day. Like listed last Friday, he makes a full offer bid on it. Nope. Goes for over market, over listing. It's it's uh, housing market's really odd right now. It's and, because of everyone's got these long term mortgages, right? So, so no one's. <laughs> so the the first of all, if you're a first time home buyer, money's expensive. So now instead of two point seven five, you're at six and a half, roughly six and a quarter, somewhere in that range right now. So it, you're you're. The same payments substantially higher, maybe 35, 40% higher than it was. And then if you're thinking about doing a move up, you, you, you're like, this is more than the cost of the home because of the cost of borrowing. <laughs> right. Our mortgage is going to go from 1800 bucks a month to $4,200 a month, and we're only gaining 25% more house or whatever, that, right? Like, that's, that's right. At the same time, the cost of renting appears to be dropping relatively quickly. Disconnect. And there's a disconnect, <laughs> there's which a is, disconnect. look, if my rent was going up, 
and the housing prices were going up, you Makes can kind of justify it. But if I'm renting and I see that staying the same or dropping, you're like, what's the hurry? Well, like the last several years, it, not that we can predict the future, but just with real estate prices, like well, as long as rents are going up, you would expect property values to go up. Very different than in the early 2000s, the housing bubble, when rents were flat for several years and homes like doubled in value. So, um, well, I mean, especially in the apartment, uh, these collateralized mortgage obligations, which is security, securitized mortgages, which are people that buy an apartment, on, borrow the money. With a variable money, rate mortgage. With variable rate mortgage, $88 billion. Would you have the risk tolerance to have a variable rate mortgage on an You've got to be one of the most optimistic people alive. <laughs> that you believe that that's kind of like saying, you know, I'm not gonna, I'm gonna forego the fire insurance, save a few bucks. Yeah, exactly. Which is, I'm gonna enter into this thing because the cost of money, and sometimes the the margins are so thin, and they figure, you know, I borrowed enough, I've got so little money in. Well, there you go. Right, I might. And I might. Every every and every investment I have is in a separate LLC. So if it goes if it, bankrupt, it's. It's and I have no personal guarantee, so what do I care? Yeah, and I've yeah, got I guess and I've got ten million dollars in on a hundred million dollar building, and um, you know, it's so forty two percent of this eighty eight million billion dollars is tied to apartment buildings, and they're coming due, um, right now, right now. I was talking to a commercial real estate agent and he was telling me stuff is coming to the market right now with these balloons coming due and that, that people bought the property five or seven years ago and the balloons are coming due right now and right right now and they're calling not not only listing they're just calling people that own commercial real estate saying hey uh any way you interested in taking a look at this thing and we're like he's like no one's biting Yep. Well, that is leverage for you, isn't it? Cuts both ways. The <laughs> borrower is the slave to the lender. It is leverage. Uh, let's uh, go to the calls here. Uh, if you want to be part of our program, we love taking our, your calls. And you could you could line up a call with us either by calling this number or you can send a, an email at questions at moneymatters.com. Questions at moneymatters.com. And our contact number is 833-99-WORTH. We're talking to Bob in California. Bob, you're with All Worth's Money Matters. Hi, guys. Uh, I retired from state of California in December. And the question that I have is I had, uh, well, they're still working on my last paycheck and separating my lump sum for a year's worth of leave that I had. And They still haven't figured it out? Seems to be problems between my department and the state controller. And uh, they sent some checks, didn't send some other. They had to be redeposited. And I'm still <laughs> Sorry, it's, for... been, it's mid-May. You retired in December. Yes. Could you, Pat, can you imagine that this happening in a private company? I just can't imagine all the penalties and fines that would come with not paying it. If you're a private company, yeah. If you were a private company. Yeah. Anyway. Anyway, that's for, that's yeah, for another show. Stuff. Uh, so the question I had is the money's to go into the savings plus account that the state has. And I have a 401k, a 401k Roth, 457 and 457 Roth in there and was wondering, is it still a good idea to keep the money in there or to move it out of How there into, uh, 68? It doesn't, it doesn't matter. Um, it, it makes, well, well, moving the money out would give you a broader selection, but they have a self-directed brokerage window on these, but they're probably more expensive to use than if you were to use a, a private company. But in terms of tax, yeah, the only real benefit, in my opinion, you have by having dollars in here is you don't have to worry about someone selling you some high-priced investment because you've got the limited options in the plan. Okay, well, so let's let's that, assume that Bob, okay. Bob is past I mean, other, that. Okay, so if you're past that... Um, you can still build it. You could probably build a, a portfolio at the same cost, of maybe even less cost with some ETFs today than you could have in the past. So I would, I, I know what I would do with well, it. Of course you wouldn't leave I, it in there. I, absolutely. And part of it is just for ease of management. 
just take the 457 and the 401k, move them to an IRA, take the Roth side of them, move it to a Roth IRA, name the beneficiaries, um, and the, the cost is— It's clearly a lot easier when someone passes away if it's in an IRA. Oh, Night and day, because we deal with That's that. That's another story for me, because my son had a 401k plan. Didn't work out to be too much. So 15 years ago, we just said, nah, we're not going to worry about that. The insurance plan took a whole lot more of that, that he paid 250000 versus the 40000 that was in there. And then a year ago, the plan calls up and says, hey, we got this money here, and it's now worth $130,000. Uh, well, that okay. would have done... That would have done the same thing in an IRA. He just had it invested correctly and let it go, let it ride. So that was just – I mean that that didn't have anything to do whether it was in a 401K or an IRA because the investment selection is the same. So, But just for didn't ease – have a beneficiary named. Oh, so oh. it's got to go through probate oh. 15 years later. Oh, okay. Wow. That's a little fun. Yeah. Uh, it took a year to get through stuff in Texas, and I finally was appointed the administrator. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Sorry. Sorry. Sorry to hear that. So to that point, it is so much easier in an IRA at death uh, to just the ease of management. So the, the, the cost you're going to – my bet is that you're going to get it to the same or lower cost if you do it correct. Um, and that uh, just at, at death, it's so much easier if it's an IRA and a Roth IRA versus four accounts. Um, and you're of age that it doesn't really matter. It's, yeah, it's coming soon. Yeah, because the other part, there is an old, old rule that I was using. Do not put all your eggs in one basket so you kind of keep it separated. And then, of course, I have money in two other firms. Uh, one is TD Ameritrade, and that's being absorbed into Schwab, who was my other basket. But uh, you where would, I had funds. You know, but 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 you want to address this basket yeah, thing? It's it's different than say having your money in, let's say Charles Schwab's bank or Silicon Valley Bank's bank. When you, those are just cust- essentially a custodian, a, a brokerage firm to, to hold your investments. So they're bookkeepers. That's probably a good way to put it. They're they're bookkeepers. Your assets are not an asset of that firm. So when when people say put all your eggs in one basket, if you have a diversified portfolio inside that basket, that's what it means. Whether you have TD Ameritrade, Charles Schwab, Pershing, Vanguard, whoever be the custodian. Even if I own the Vanguard total market ETF, I had my life savings in there, I would still have – Hundreds of companies. That that's right. There. That's so right. I wouldn't be yeah. having my eggs in one bag. Yeah. So just for ease, there's no reason to have it all over the place. I would make the argument that you should you should only have three accounts. You should have an IRA, a Roth IRA, and, and a, a brokerage, brokerage account. account. Unless there's some separate assets there, then you might have some separate. Yeah, yeah. If you inherited some money or were gifted some money, you might have a, a separate. But that's all you need. You, any more than that, you're making it complicated. Yeah, appreciate the call, Bobby. And it's interesting, Pat. We had um, years ago, and I don't remember. Every once in a while, this guy would call. He was uh, one of the executives for the state of California's 401k plan. Remember that he would call it, and he was usually complimentary. But this one conversation, he called, and he he says, I don't know why. He says, I think it's wrong that you financial advisors typically encourage people to move money from their 401k to an IRA, right? So we had the call, and we're having this we're on the radio show here, uh, having the conversation. And <laughs> and I, at the time, it was public. It's, it's public information if you want to see how the money's allocated. 18% of the, of the portfolio was in cash. So I said, because, <laughs> I, 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 okay, maybe there are lower cost options than people might have on the outside. But the fact that 18% of people's retirement savings is in cash, I said, none of our clients have it, unless they're planning on spending it all next year. It makes no sense. It made no sense. And it's because they didn't have any, for many people, they choose their 401ks by looking at the list and uh, I guess I'll put 20% here and 30% 30 here and at least what did well last year. And there's no, it's it's not built up any sort of fashion to be designed to help with their overall financial plan, like when they're going to retire, what income needs might they need, what cash lump sums might they need at retirement. Right? Most people don't invest their 401k. Yeah, anymore. and I, my guess is that in a— and I think I won the argument when I, like, 
but the benefit my, of an advisor helping. My guess is that after a down year, if you look at the uh, one-year returns and they're all negative except for cash, that a lot more money actually goes yes, to cash right. than, than should. They also say that whatever the listing is, the top is, uh, tends to get more assets. Makes sense. It's the first one you've got there, so. I just think it's funny. I don't know. Just the fact that it, it, one of the main executives in charge of the 401k plan was trying to make a statement of why it's best to leave the dollars in there when from an asset allocation standpoint, clearly some work could be done to improve that for their their members. So you would hope. One would hope. All right. We're going to take a quick break and um, we will come back with some more calls and um, some more talk. This is All Worth Money Matters. Can't get enough of Allworth's Money Matters? Visit allworthfinancial.com slash radio to listen to the Money Matters podcast. Welcome back to Allworth's Money Matters. Scott Hansen. Pat McLean. And let's let's give our numbers out. We just did. When? 833-99-WORTH. I just think it's dead. Most of our listeners are podcasts now. And our numbers are actually on that. It's on there. You're right. <laughs> I mean, I know <laughs> we still used to be try to. We still use a toll free number too. They're all toll free, aren't they? Yeah, that, that's the whole point. Why do we? Why are we picking up the the, the charge? We're we're paying more. I've money. had lots of phone discussion in my house the last few weeks because my 12 year old has no phone. She's probably the last one of her friends with no phone. Um, and I know there's some parents that their kids at. 10 years old sleep with their iPhone so they can wake up in the middle of the night and see how many likes they have on their social media posts and do TikTok and all that other stuff. And um, we've taken a different, <laughs> different approach. But it's, it's the point now where it's like, it's becoming a, a pretty good inconvenience for me. Like, it's, well, get her a flip phone. That's what my, we had for the one that's now 15. But I think we came to a solution because I was looking at it and stripping it down. Uh, at Apple Watch. Was our solution? Oh, we'll see how that works. How long that lasts? We'll that works. I'm going to give it less than six weeks <laughs> before it's either broken it's always, or lost. It's one. Lo- <laughs> uh, yeah, probably right. My daughter would tell me that uh, that they could text blind on their phones on the whole flip phones. Uh, yes, uh, on the flip phones. So she said everyone in the classroom wore these. Uh, they wore. Uh, sweatshirts with the pocket in front and so they'd have their hands in their pocket in class so they can text each other so they could text um now how do they read the text i don't know (laughs) 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 at the end of class they got 28 texts they can read yeah like anyway i don't know why i started but it's phones anyway so we're we're gonna pick up the charge for the phone (laughs) call if you want to call let's uh, go let's take calls we're talking to tim tim you're with all worth money matters Good day, gentlemen, and thank you for taking my call and picking up the charge. Thank you. Uh, Appreciate that. <laughs> uh, hey, uh, I, I wanted to ask you, uh, uh, I have about, or my wife and I have probably about you know, a little over $250,000 in capital gains on our on our home. Um, it's a home that we're going to stay in for, you know, the, the foreseeable future. We love the place and everything else. I'm going to stay there for as long as we can. Um, but it is a home on property, and in my planning uh, my thought process is, of course, the deduction for capital gains uh, is five hundred thousand if you're married, two fifty yep. if you're you're a single person, um, and uh, you know more than likely via the actuaries, I'll be the first one to pass away. Uh, and my wife and I'm, you know, I'm obviously planning, you know, several years down the line, hopefully. Um, and uh, my wife will end up uh, selling the house and then moving on. Is there anything I can do to to because and by that time I'm sure will there will be more than two hundred fifty thousand dollars in in capital gains. Is there anything I can do at this point in time in terms of uh, I, I don't know putting it in a, uh, uh, a certain type of title or something like that to protect her down the line? Protect her from. Capital, Capital gains. gains, yeah. So Con- here's here's Congress what I, has already done it for you. Yeah, here's what I want you to do is not worry about it because she'll receive what's called a step up in basis. So let's say you paid a hundred thousand dollars for this house, right? And it's worth ten million when you die. Ten million bucks. Any gain, right. any gain is stepped up to the fair market value. For capital oh. gains purposes, stepped up. 
basis on the date of death. And that doesn't, that's that's not your home. That's any asset. That's any asset. Just about any asset. Oh, okay. I was unaware of that. I figured if she was on title, which she, which she is, uh, that, uh, that she wouldn't, you know, that, that the, the step up rule wouldn't apply, that that applies. Perfect. Yeah. Yeah. As long as it's titled correctly. Okay. Yeah. If it was, if it was, yeah. yeah, And you're in California community property state. If it was, if it was, uh, in her name only and you passed away, then there'd be no step up basis because it, it was, it's your asset that she would inherit. But if it, cause if it was in her name, she wouldn't be inheriting it. So, so this is, but you bring up a really good point because we see this quite often where, um, people have in their minds, this tax obligation on any asset. And I'll see where people will come into the office and mom and dad are getting older and the kids go to mom and dad and say, Hey, we need to worry about taxes. Move this into my name today uh, and gift it to me. And that way we get to avoid taxes. And you're like, you, that's the worst thing, the worst do. thing you could do. Right. Cause you're not getting that step up that's when they right. pass away. Now we have it in, uh, I, I, I actually haven't quite completed the process yet. And that's why I was, I was holding off until I talked to you. I'm actually going to put the house in our trust yep. name. Does that make a difference? No, no, it follows title into the trust. Yeah. And we're, we're not right. attorneys, so this isn't tax advice. Yes. It's all tax. Yeah, to profession. talk to a qualified attorney. But from our little knowledge <laughs> in doing this, you should not worry about this at all. Excellent. And, it, Excellent. and the step up applies to almost all assets, but not 99% of all assets. Perfect. Perfect. You guys nailed it. All Thanks, right. Tim. Well, we, you, know, you know, it's interesting, uh, Pat. I appreciate the call, Tim. It, like, we'll have cl- older clients, right? This is, I know you've got some clients, same thing I do, where there's uh, pieces in their portfolio that aren't necessarily ideal. Like, if there was no tax implications, you'd sell it immediately. That's right. If it was in a retirement account, you would have sold it years ago. But it's still fairly good. Maybe it was, maybe it was a higher expense mutual fund that they had bought 25 years ago. But the capital gain is such that if you sell it today, you're going to incur a, a tremendous gain. So you're like, we're going to wait until one of you passes away. If it's a couple or if it's, there's inherent, let's just wait till someone passes away. These dollars aren't, you're not going to spend anyway because then we could avoid the taxes. And to that point, when you inherit any sort of asset, whether you're a spouse or a child or whatnot, typically it gives you a tremendous opportunity to rebuild the portfolio with no tax consideration. You do it almost immediately. You, most of the time you should. Yeah. And, and where you get pushback is, well, dad always loved this company. Dad. He said, never get rid of Woolworth. Never sell JC Penney. Yeah. Whatever. This, this Montgomery <laughs> Ward stock is the best, right? And you see it all the time where, uh, and the stock doesn't know you own it. The, the stock doesn't care. It is an asset. Um, and you shouldn't fall in love with anything that can't love you back. Uh, which includes any asset, any asset. So you, you, we see it all the time, and you see people gift things that they shouldn't be gift. The only time you've got highly appreciated assets, uh, if you're charitably inclined, those are the first things to go out of the portfolio. Yep. All right, let's continue. Uh, we're going to talk with Mark. Mark, you're with Allworth's Money Matters. Hey, excellent. Thanks for taking my call. Hi, Mark. Um, so my question is, um, I'm looking for the best option for bridging our cash flow requirements in order to maximize our Social Security benefits. Okay. And so uh, a little background. Um, we know that our uh, budget ex- expenses are about 220 k a year. Um, I'm retired at 64. My wife will be retiring in two years. We both have a How old is she? Uh, she's 62. Okay. So we'll both have a pension that um, sums up to about 120000 And we have a 401k um, combined of about 3.6 mil with uh, outside equities of about 700000 So the, the question, you know, with all the the finally CDs are coming up a little bit. And the question was, how do I um, allocate enough cash flow to get us to 70? 
So, um, the, the, first of all, the question is, uh, uh, we can answer the question. Let's answer the question. We'll then, answer the question, and then uh, I, I will. we will make an argument as to why you should not wait. Or maybe you shouldn't wait. Why or you maybe should... you should split the difference. How much would your Social oh, Security it, benefit be if you were both to uh, take it today? Um, for, oh, today. Today. Uh, it would uh, probably be combined about 4600 Okay. And then if we waited, it would be in the neighborhood of 8300. Yeah. And so between the two, so we're looking up in the 220 is gross or net uh, your expenses. Uh that that includes uh paying taxes. Okay. So So if you were to take it today, what we're trying to make up is approximately $45,000 a year in income. Off of four point three million dollars, which is you know easy, it's super super easy, one percent. Um, so you, obviously you have enough money to retire. Hey, I just take yeah. a distribution from your um, from your four hundred one k. What's your income now? You, you're retired. What's your spouse's income? Uh, about a hundred thousand. Yeah. I mean three point six. I mean if you took three percent. It's going to make up the. That's that's how you would bridge the difference. And you're, oh, okay. You're, so, that's now, exactly so right. Because if if it was a smaller number, maybe I wouldn't be suggesting that. But if you had if you were 72 today and had required minimum distributions, is it 75 now? Right. That's being pushed, right? Um, right. Your required minimum distributions would be about 135 thousand dollars. Yes. So you okay. would just take it from from that, uh, and it that would be easy. Now, let's talk about whether you should defer Social Security or not. Because on paper, assuming you have a normal life expectancy, everything else being equal, it makes sense to defer Social Security benefits. Well, I don't know. Because the way the law is currently written, when the trust fund is depleted, which is sometime 2032, 2033, 2034, somewhere in that, it's around 10 years from now. Everything else being equal, which means that Social Security, we know it's going to be there for me regardless. But the, it's a it's across the board reduction right now of about twenty six percent. So today, that's statutory. That's the law currently. So, Mark, let's pretend today that you opened the Wall Street Journal and it said the Social Security trust fund is out of money. Actually, we could open the paper today and we'd actually read the same thing it would just say the government (laughs) (laughs) but the social security trust fund is out of money oh and by the way there's a 26 percent reduction across the board for everyone everyone regardless of income or the size of your benefit so they look at mark and they go well mark He's getting, and his wife are getting $55,000 a year. We're going to cut theirs by 25, 26%. Oh, and that. Or they're getting 80 some thousand a year if he waits. That's right. Or there's the, the lady who is widowed who is 75 that's getting $1,200 a year or a month, $14,000 a year. We're going to cut hers by approximately 25%. Do you, what do you think the government's going to do? Right. They're going to cut mine before. Her. I mean, we don't know. I Like, we don't know. But what we do right. know, assuming your pension is, is, is from a solvent, it's from the state of California or it's from a private company? AT&T. Okay. okay. Which actually, they just, that pension was just uh, taken over, sold off to a, another. Yeah, there's cash. It's got, it's fully funded. It's fully funded. So your, your income is once you have these required minimum distributions, which is real, right? Your income's two fifty a year minimum. So, so when you look at the math, it says. So we know we know Congress will have to act, and whoever the president is that time will have to sign into law a change in our Social Security to deal with this shortfall, unless they increase. 
Well, there's a, they can do it a number of different ways. They can increase taxes on the current workers. Right. There's right. probably a limit that that, that can go. They, they could uh, eliminate any sort of cap. So regardless of how much you make, they could start take taxing um, a capital a gain tax if you save too much. They could. They could do anything. Who knows what they're going to do, right? But, and they could also say, let's make this somewhat needs based. And by the way, they have. There is history of making Social Security needs based. You go back 30 years ago, Social Security income was never taxed. And then they started taxing 50% of the income at limits of, what, $32,000 for a couple? And the argument there was they said, well, the employer is paying tax. There's no tax deduction. There's a tax deduction for the employer, but not for the employee. So, But they didn't do it across the board. They did it needs-based. So you can make the argument. That is correct. Right? And then a few years later, they said, that didn't seem to be too bad. Let's start taxing 85% of Social Security benefits for um, couples with incomes over $44,000. By the way, never adjusted for inflation. That number has never been adjusted but for inflation. So the idea that they're not going to actually somehow touch the benefits, it's a fallacy. They've done it already because they've already taxed certain people for Social Security benefits and not and others. You see it in Medicare. Done. Right. So I look. I'm 60, and my uh, beautiful wife. Holy smokes! What? It's her birthday this week. Wait <laughs> 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 next week. Don't forget that one. Okay, that's hilarious. Oh, we've had the discussion when when she doesn't work outside of the home. When she's 62, regardless of what my income is, we're taking Social Security the minute it's offered regardless, because I feel strongly that they're going to cut Social Security benefit sometime in my lifetime, and I will be first on, fortunately, fortunately, I've got to say that, never imagined that I'd worry about things like this, but I think you should worry about the same thing. Like, forget the math. What we're talking about is legislative risk and in the portfolio. here's the reality, Mark. You might not feel that wealthy, because it's always the next guy that's wealthier, the next couple or the next one, right? It's, um, <clears throat> but if you look at retirees, the majority of retired Americans rely upon Social Security for the majority of their income. Right. You're wealthy. So you called to say how to bridge that. If, if you're still intent on waiting until age 70, um, then 75 or whatever, yeah. or 70, yes. 70. Then I, I would just take a distribution from the 401k. But I, would, I wouldn't do that either. I'd start Social Security as soon as you possibly could. I'd Assuming you know you're not going to go back to work because you've only been retired a few months. Are you confident you're not uh, going back right. to work? Nope. Uh, yep. Not you're sure? <laughs> Definitely. I love retirement. Oh, good. Okay. <laughs> you're good at it then. <laughs> Yes. Yeah. So I, I would, my recommendation would just take it. And, and, and if you think about it, think about it as a bond. As or a bond, any other investment. Stream of income, right? What's the likelihood that this is, that stream of income is going to kick in? What risks are there that would impair that stream if, of income? And by the way, the, the, the greater the risk is that the income will be hurt in latter years the bigger your desire should be to take the income as early as possible. Right. Because the, the cash flow is required earlier while I'm still active. Yeah. I mean, if you, you're going to be fine either way, you'll be fine either way. If social security didn't exist at all, you'd be fine. The question is over your lifetime mm-hmm. and your spouse's lifetime, what will be the likelihood that you're going to get the most money out of Social Security? And if there is no legislative risk to that, then wait till age seven. Then wait till age seventy. Well, but if, no, there's not. It's not a legislative. It's a statutory risk. But, but, so, but Scott, we don't know. The, 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 we know statutory. Congress. To, right now, everyone in government's afraid to touch Social Security. It's the third rail. They're afraid, and the Democrats are saying, "Oh, the Republicans." So, no one's going to do anything until. The final moment. I mean, look at right now, we've got the debt ceiling, right? Like this snuck up on us. <laughs> uh, so they're not going to act until the, the final moment. It's no political. It's no there's political no upside. Appetite. No, there's no upside. What's, there's none. Yeah, especially if you look over at France and they're trying to move that age. Oh, my gosh. 
So the corollary. Yeah, they're not, they're not going to mess with the masses. If I do decide to take Social Security, that answers the question. If I decide to go into the 401k, that then we get taxed at the 24% level um, versus capital gains off of my outside investments, which would be. 50%. I'm worried about required minimum distribution. You'd, if you keep letting that thing cook, I would. I'd make the argument that I would make the argument that that portfolio outside the brokerage account should be. Uh, heavily invested in tax efficient equities yeah. and that you would probably never touch that in your whole lifetime. And that would receive a step up in basis at your death. I would make unless that. Unless he's got a need for a motor home or you need a big ca- okay. cash infusion. And I would treat that, that 401k IRA is the source of income. And I'd have most of my bonds inside of that. And, Which I do. And, and every year I would actually, once your wife retires, I would actually take the money out of there and then see how much uh, we could drive into well, a Roth conversion. And I'd move the 401k to an IRA just so you can have a monthly income drop into your checking account. And, and then, but you would still do the math every year for a Roth conversion on that. Some portion right, of it. Right. Yeah. Well, we've got, yeah, 600000 in Roth already. So. Yeah, perfect. Okay. We'll get some <laughs> more. some more money there. And that's actually what, <laughs> by the way, that would be the place that I, if I had a motorhome purchase, I'd take it out of the Roth. Ah, okay. I would allow okay. that brokerage account. I would pretend it didn't exist and I would. You're looking at me. For, yeah, because, the, the, well, all the laws can change in this. Stepped up basis can change. So could a tax-free inheritance of Roth. That can change. It can all change. Right? <laughs> all right. <laughs> okay. And again, I mean, and so part of this is trying to di- diversify our, our, our tax strategy as well. Right? That's because right. we don't know right. what's going to happen in the future. Uh, exactly. Well, but you've done great. Great saver. Uh, what's it feel like to be rich and retired? It doesn't feel rich. (laughs) Like I said, yeah. Right? It doesn't feel rich. There's other people listening like, oh my gosh, he's so lucky. Yeah, well, I don't think luck had a lot to do with it. I'm just telling you. That's what they're thinking. Although I don't know what they're thinking, but some I'm sure are thinking that. Yeah, I appreciate the call, Mark. It's funny. I had, uh, I was talking with some family members. We were talking about the lottery. It was one of those times it was hundreds of millions of dollars. And And I said something to the fact of, I said, I don't think I'd want to win the lottery. And my family member says, well, looks to me like you already have. Really? <laughs> and I said, excuse me? It's time for you to leave now. <laughs> Look, I moved to Sacramento. I, hadn't, I, didn't have a, I had debt. I had, didn't have a penny to my name. I rented a bedroom for $300 a month. There were months I, I didn't have the cash to pay the rent, and I took cash advance on my credit cards. Yeah, I remember. That's when, how broke I was. When, when I, I met you, town. you were living in that fireman's bedroom. That's exactly right. And I could have I, I could have went and got a job that paid me a wage and could have sales job at Pepsi or something like my buddy did in a company car and all that, and I wouldn't have had to work. But I, I had a different vision for myself. And, and so <laughs> the fact that I, so I won the lottery. Like, look, I've been – trust me, I feel super grateful, and I'm uh, – not exactly like winning the lottery. And, and how did, and did you ignore? Mark, did Mark, you? Mark worked. It wasn't luck. Oh, correct. That he's ended up saving over four, almost five million dollars in retirement. The uh, did you? Let me ask you a question. Did you? Did you respond to that, or did you just let it go? That you, it looks like you won the lottery. Did you respond to your relative, or did you just no, let I, it slide? I responded. You did. <laughs> I don't think I quite unleashed like I just did right this moment. <laughs> All right, but they probably don't listen to the podcast anyway. No. Um, I would have ignored it. Well, you're a, a higher individual than I am. You're, okay, well, <laughs> finally. You've got a stronger moral compass. You're more confident in your own self. Um, you're not so concerned about what others think about you. Finally, after Much 30 years, we get to the truth. <laughs> Thank I you. The truth is, I didn't particularly care for this. It was actually someone was dating this person. So, oh, is that right? <laughs> yeah. So, and the person kind of annoyed me. Oh, they, they won't be transplant. They maybe won't. you don't have any ma- family members that annoy you, Pat. No, <laughs> okay. my family—they're perfect. Anyway, hey, let's move on. Um, let's let's talk about the uh, the debt ceiling here. Because the Republicans and Democrats keep pointing fingers at each other. Well, the reality is they they have to negotiate. I mean, the reason they put the Congress put a debt ceiling in the first place is to slow down spending, to force 
the politicians to come together to come up with some sort of compromise to keep spending lower. Yeah, the, the, everyone needs to come to the table. Since 1960, and this is Jason Scott, our multimedia producer, was kind of some of this tidbit. Since 1960, Congress has acted 78 separate times to permanently raise, temporarily extend, or revise the definition of the debt limit. This has been done 49 times under Republican presidents and 29 times under Democratic presidents. So it's not new. It's <laughs> 78 seems, times. It's not. And I the, remember when the government shut down, what, 20 years ago? Oh, it, was. it was very, very hard on certain industries. Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, anything that was a highly regulated industry, uh, it was very, very difficult uh, on, on those industries. Yeah. What do you think is going to happen? We've got a couple weeks. I actually haven't given it much thought. Um, I mean, there's lots of verbose, chest puffing. We're not going to give anything. For sure. On both sides. They're going to come to a compromise. Before the end of the month? Yes. Or just extend it slightly further? Uh, they, 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 give it three more months or something? The, the idea of, of allowing in this economy for a government shutdown... After, um, it's the, a game of chicken right now. Isn't yeah, it? <clears throat> after the COVID and all the damage that has been done economically, psychologically, um, to the economy and to people, obviously, which is the economy. What do you think is going to happen? I don't know. Um, I'm not terribly worried one way or the other. I think it'll all be kind of interesting thing to watch regardless. We'll get through this. We whether will get through a, this. Whether it's a mess or it, we say all the right through it. Uh, I mean, we'll get through this. This too shall pass. Yeah. And there's some beauty in our, in our system of government. I frankly like gridlock because I don't know if we need that many more laws. But anyway, that's, it doesn't tend to bug me that much. Uh... Anyway, it's been great. Um, Thanks for joining. Oh, and by the way, if you've enjoyed this shit podcast, will you please give us a review? Yeah, just wherever you're. Well, this even if you again. haven't enjoyed it, will you please give us a review? And uh, by the way, we do pre-record these, so this was show was recorded on Thursday. And if you want to be part of our program, want to be a guest, just send us an email: questions at moneymatters.com. This program has been brought to you by Allworth Financial, a registered investment advisory firm. Any ideas presented during this program are not intended to provide specific financial advice. You should consult your own financial advisor, tax consultant, or estate planning attorney to conduct your own due diligence.